What's up, it's Doug Cunnington here, and in this interview, I talked to Evan. Evan is another success story, and this is an update. So if you didn't check out the first interview with Evan, I'll put a link in the description so you could have a look there. This is really cool because uh, at least when I talked to him, he was on target to hit $8,000 for the first time in his niche site journey, which is really cool. So he's making revenue from multiple sources. So I think he has, you know, a chunk from Amazon. He has some ads potentially, and maybe some affiliate offers. So he has a a multiple uh, sort of tiers of monetization, but congratulations, Evan, you, you're hitting like a a pretty high milestone. We get into the weeds uh, quite a bit. So we talk a little bit about Pinterest, but the really deep part that a lot of people don't mention is the business side. So we talk about uh, forming a company, an LLC or corporation or whatever. We also talk about S-Corp, filing taxes, and consult. Please consult your accountant and attorney and people that know what they're talking about. Because Evan and I go back and forth and we talk about what we did. But it's clear that we are uninformed, that we don't know what we're talking about. But if you are starting to make some money, then you probably want to listen to this to get an idea of what you need to get into. So without further ado, let's go to the interview. Thanks a lot, Evan. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. All right, what's up, everybody? I'm sitting with my friend Evan. How are you doing today? Hey, Doug. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad to be back. And if this is the first time that you've seen Evan on here, you should um, watch the the first video. So this is an update. And you and I talked, I think it was about six months ago, something like that in the summer of 2018. And you were doing uh, pretty well. If I remember, you were making like three, 4,000 bucks on your site, which was, I think, like a year and a half old. And you were using the keyword golden ratio and it's working out pretty well, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess it was right about six months ago. We talked and I was just kind of on the verge of hitting that 4K a month mark. So what happened? We're recording this now um, in like January of 2019. So where are we at now as far as revenue, um, traffic, stuff like that? Yeah. So the good news is that right now in January, I'm on track to have my best month ever by far. I'm on pace for something like 8K this month, which is really, really exciting. You know, but there's definitely been some ups and downs on the way here, which is which is wild. You know, when we talked, I was making, I think 3,800 is where I came in that month that we chatted. And before then, I had seen like these crazy incremental jumps like every month. It was like, I went from making a couple hundred bucks to making 4,000 in, you know, six months. And then hit some seasonality in the niche, Things kind of slowed down, traffic kind of plateaued, and it was it was all very discouraging for a while through the fall and the winter. And it's really exciting to see things kind of headed back up right now, finally starting off 2019. Cool. Congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment. And I assume when you got started, like you didn't have any idea that you'd be able to make that much just in a, in a month or, or, or so. No, not at all. I mean, I just, uh, I think I mentioned in our original conversation, but my plan was to kind of work on this on the side. And while I look for a job and, you know, whatever happened, happened, I get a little side income, but, you know, it just went better than I expected. And then, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed that I would end up, you know, at the kind of level that I'm at. Cool. Cool. Well, like I said, congratulations. Let's back up and hear about you. So where you're from? What was your uh, day job? Like, I know you're doing this full time now. But yeah, just give us a little background. Yeah. So I live in Atlanta, uh, which I know you're familiar with. I've been here for about six or seven years. And my background is really in writing. So I've always been always been interested in writing, did it for fun. Kind of coming out of college, I started doing some freelance writing here and there. Eventually, I ended up with a, a digital marketing agency in Atlanta and doing some copywriting and, and kind of learned content strategy and all that kind of stuff. And that was a really good background for what I'm doing now, obviously. From the agency, then I went on to write for like a really big uh, news viral type publisher, kind of like a BuzzFeed. And that was also a really good experience too. More writing for the web, learning how to make stuff you know, clickable, well-packaged for social media, for search, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, my background is really, really well suited to this, I think. And, you know, like we talked about, it was almost a year ago, it was last February that I ended up quitting that job to, uh, to work on this. And well, I thought I would get another job, but you know, things uh, didn't go that way. So (laughs) gotcha. And did, or how many years uh, were you in the content field uh, with a corporate job? Yeah, probably a good five or six years um, with a few extra years of of side writing and freelance writing on top of that. So, you know, at the digital agency that I worked, I was there for four or five years and then with the big publisher for about two or three. So, okay. How important do you feel like that background was to help you write 
like good content. It was really, really good. I mean, just getting that practice of writing a lot and writing in different styles and writing about things that I didn't know about necessarily. You know, I had to hone a lot of good research skills and, and good, uh, you know, information gathering skills and, and learn just learning the basics of how to format, how to go into WordPress, how to go into other content management systems, how to use headers and bullets and, you know, things that I take for granted now because I've been doing them forever. But I know that when a lot of people get started, they're like, oh, my God, what, I'm in WordPress. What do I do? <laughs> you know, so at least just having that leg up and, and just knowing basically how to write for the web was a huge, a huge leg up for me. Cool. And I mean, you would expect that that would be really valuable since that is one of the main components. So at this point, are you still doing all the writing and that sort of thing? Yeah, for my own side, uh, I write almost everything. I've gone through phases where I've hired pieces of it out, but you know, sometimes as a writer, I can be a little precious about the content. And <laughs> I've revisited the thought a couple times of like outsourcing more of it. And, and, you know, I think at some point I may need to remove myself as the bottleneck to get more done, but I, you know, I like doing the writing for the most part. And so, uh, I'm happy to, to keep working on it. And I think at this point, like since so much of the site is in your voice, it's probably, you know, easier and you have the control over it and all that stuff. But you're right. Like at some point, you know, you want to get away from the, the laptop, the keyboard, um, for a bit and just kind of chill out. So for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I have a list of, uh, ideas that's a mile long, way more than I have time to ever write. So, I mean, I've got probably 15 or 20 things that I would love to get on the site tomorrow, you know, but that's one of the, the drawbacks of being one person and working by yourself. Now, do you have um, like several sites or you're just working on one? So yeah, in the last summer, I started a second one and uh, I just have been chipping away on it. Um, ever since. And it's growing really, really nicely. I've got about 50 articles on there. Traffic is really, really growing fast and, and doing well. Can you give us an idea of the traffic for that site that's like six, seven months old or so? Yeah, it's about seven months. It might do about 20,000 page views this month. Yeah. So I'm pretty happy with the way it's grown. And for the the first site, how much content do you have there? I've got about 150 articles on there. Okay. And I keep up, I try and check on, uh, you know, shoot you an email. So I, I check with the success story folks just to see like what's going on. So if I remember right, you were, you know, adding a lot of content and doing some things. Um, so can you tell us about your plan on what you were going to do, what you actually did and like how the results are right now? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, what I've learned is that both for me and I think for this business, like it's very process driven. So my goals in a week or a month or a quarter are to, is to do like X amount of production. And so like usually most weeks I'm like, all right, I want to get, you know, three new articles, up, five new articles up, whatever it is. That's like 90% of what I spend my time on. Cause it's, you know, that's what moves the business forward ultimately. So pretty much I'm just, I've just rolled with the same process we talked about. I mean, I use the KGR sometimes, but my site's almost two years old now and is a little bit more powerful and I feel comfortable competing for, for more competitive things at this point. So in some ways I've graduated a little bit from it, but I, I definitely use it as a gut check a lot of the time, especially when I'm going for those lower competition things. So yeah, I mean, I've just been adding a ton of content. I, I think probably since the time we talked, I've about doubled the content that I had and everything kind of came to a head in, in August. That's when I made about 5K on the site. I had almost 100,000 page views on the site. I was just like over the moon about it <laughs> because I, up to that point, I was still seeing this crazy month to month growth. And then that's when the kind of the seasonality hit of the niche, which was, you know, not devastating, but it caused everything to kind of like go down 20% or so and just plateau for a couple of months, despite the fact that I had added all this new content and I had, you know, been working my ass off. <laughs> so that yeah. was a little bit discouraging to see that, like, you know, all that work I did up through August. And then in September, October, November, I was like, ah, why won't traffic go up? Why am I not earning any more, any more money? So that was a kind of a tough stretch. Um, even knowing that it was seasonal, but not really knowing for sure, right? Like you don't, you want to see it get to that next level before you really believe that it's going to happen. So, you know, and then I, you know, I was all excited for December being the buying season and December was definitely better, but it wasn't like my niche is a January thing for sure. So mm -hmm. I didn't see the big, the big boost that I wanted until I'm seeing it right now. So and that yeah, makes I mean, total that's sense. The, yeah. Yeah. That's the basic story. I'm just adding a ton of content and you know, I'm splitting time between the sites, but I mean, I think this year I've written something like 200 pieces of content or, you know, most of those <laughs> written myself. So it's been a grind. It's been a grind for sure. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a lot of content, man. Did you do any link building or have you done link building in the past? I did uh, very early on in my site. I did 
like an infographic campaign, uh-huh. right? Uh, yeah, I went to Fiverr, or not Fiverr, um, Upwork made an infographic that turned out pretty cool, promoted that around. You know, I got a, got a few links out of that. But other than that, I've just been really focused on ranking without the links, you know, going for stuff I really feel strongly that I can compete for based on the content. And this past, well, you know, speaking of kind of being burnt out on writing, <laughs> this past month or so, I've really been working on Pinterest, which has been an awesome experience. And I've learned a lot doing that. Very cool. Well, I was going to say um, one of the other success stories, Graham, he just pinged me um, the other day asking about uh, Pinterest. So what can you tell us? What have you learned on the Pinterest side? Yeah, I mean, I think I got to a point where A, I needed a break from writing. (laughs) B, you know, in certain niches, you know, you're definitely doing yourself a disservice if you're not at least exploring Pinterest, you know, parenting, fitness, DIY, fashion, recipes, like anything like that, like you got to be on there. I mean, I was just totally confused. I had no idea how Pinterest worked at all. <laughs> I don't really use it in my normal life. So I was really starting from scratch. I considered just hiring somebody to do it for me. But I was like, you know what, I want to stop. I want to break anyway. Let me just dive in and see what I can do. And so the thing that, I, that I've learned about Pinterest is that it's it's so much more like Google than I thought, right? Obviously, it's a search engine, which makes it more valuable, I think, than a Facebook or a Twitter, because it has you know, your content has more of a shelf life and it can get in front of people who are looking for specific things. So, you know, your product related articles can actually do well on Pinterest, which is really cool. But then the other thing with Pinterest is that there's a bit of a, a bit of a sandbox period, just like Google, where you got to be on there and you got to be active and you got to be a good member of the community for a long period of time before they start to trust you to, to serve your content to people. So mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing is I'm just trying to be on there and pin stuff every day and watch my reach just go up and up and up. Right. Now, have have you seen a lot of traffic coming then at that point? Or? Yeah, I mean, the, the growth has been really, really good. I mean, on the main site, I'm getting anywhere from, you know, 25 to 100 new visitors a day through Pinterest, like actually coming to my site. And so I think that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good start considering I started at almost zero. On the second site, which I think is even better suited to Pinterest, I'm getting like a couple hundred people a day from Pinterest. So you know, definitely seeing really good returns early on. Awesome. And do you see a correlation between the pages or posts that are getting traffic and the rankings uh, from Pinterest? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm very uh, interested to see that play out myself because uh, I'm new to it. Like I've only been actively using Pinterest for a month or so. So I think it's a little early to tell now. But, you know, I, I definitely think that there's going to be a correlation when you're not getting do follow links from Pinterest. But, you know, Google still sees them and they see that you're getting traffic and engagement and, and people are sharing your stuff. So I would think over time, like, you know, I'll see a bit of a bump on pieces that are doing well. I don't have very much experience with Pinterest. Um, I've had a couple things go viral by accident and sure. there was a correlation, but there was also like other things going on like link building and other just activities to get eyes on that piece of content. So it's like, mm-hmm. you can never quite tell like what is helping with the rankings, but sure. Um, yeah. It's really hard to isolate things like that. Yeah. But yeah, like going viral on any platform is going to be a good thing. You know, you talk a lot about high touch types of processes and things that are going to be hard for people to duplicate. And I think you'll find that like, sometimes you may have a post that's not ranking where you want it to on Google, or, or maybe it's just not ranking yet because it's too new or whatever, but it can still do very well on Pinterest because your competitors aren't there, right? So it's like you have multiple channels for uh, getting traffic and engagement and stuff, which is really cool. Gotcha. And do you have any guides or resources to recommend around Pinterest, like where you sort of got your uh, game plan? Yeah. Oh my God. There's so much out there. And I was, I was totally overwhelmed at first and and everyone wants to sell you a course and everything. I've been listening to a podcast from a company called Simple Pin Media. I recommend going back through their archives and, and there's a lot of good stuff in there about, especially if you have no idea and you're just kind of starting out with it like me. As far as like conversions, can can you get any or do you have any insight on like if those people are coming from Pinterest, if they're buying anything or or not? Yeah, it's probably a little early to tell for me just because it's it's only been a month or so. But I'm definitely curious about that. And, uh, you know, I think I mentioned one of the really cool things is that if you have like the best pens for left handed people, like that would never get traffic on Facebook or or Twitter because it's so specific. But, you know, people might go to Pinterest and actually search for that or like something close to it. And so, you know, in terms of buying intent, I think you can definitely get matches there. But in terms of conversions, I don't have good data on that quite yet. So we'll see. And I'm sure they talk about this in the uh, the podcast that you just mentioned. But like, I imagine you have to have like the correct like dimensions for a pinnable image. And then mm-hmm. after that, you could just you pin it and then you're good to go, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. So I, one of the big things is that I don't want this to become a major time suck where I'm always just working on this constantly. So, you know, I'm starting to get set up with Tailwind, which is a, a scheduling app. So you take 10 extra minutes after you write a post, make a good image for it, you know, maybe take an hour on Monday and get your whole week of pins scheduled and then you can be done. You know, that's kind of the the workflow that I'm I'm shooting for. There's so many areas where it's like yeah. a treadmill of content, which yep. is why like, you know, you won't find me on Twitter or Facebook very much or YouTube uh, turned out to be a treadmill of content where I'm like, what is going on? Like, I just yeah. <laughs> like all I can do is pump out more videos and I'm like, this is not paying off very well. I know hopefully yeah. people like them, you know, you're watching this right now, but at <laughs> well, some point I, I was yeah. like, yeah, I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like I'm right, just right. doing the same videos over and over again. Somehow I talked, ended up talking about myself when we're talking about Pinterest and I don't even like <laughs> Pinterest. That's funny. Um, so, so anyway, yeah, it, it's one of those things that can get out of hand because one has to be active on it. You can't just show up, set it up and then like go do something else. So if you like dropped off, you would like potentially lose that trust in the Pinterest algorithm and stuff that was going on in a positive way. So yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. So we were chatting um, beforehand and you you mentioned forming a company and like kind of getting your, uh, your business in order. People ask me about this often. And usually it's like before they've even started their site. And I was like, Settle down there. You're putting the cart before the horse here. Just uh, once you make some money, you'll figure out how to solve that problem in the future. So where where are you at right now? I mean, you're making good money. You're making full-time money. So what's going on? Yeah, so this has been a a process for sure. Yeah, I don't think you need to worry about it when you're not making any money or, or making a couple hundred bucks a month. That's just that's pretty simple to deal with. But when you start getting into that that point where you're making several thousand dollars a month, it becomes time to think about going forward. How are you going to organize the the structure of your business? Because it is a business at that point, and it has you know it has value, right? It has it's an asset. It brings you income. So you know I think you got to meet with an accountant and and follow their advice. Mine told me to you know set up an LLC, do the S corp election, which means you're going to get taxed like a company, and then you know to actually go on with a payroll company so that I'm getting like paychecks from my company. And then through that, you're able to shield some of your income from getting that like double like self-employment tax. And so there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of forms to send the government and <laughs> a lot of kind of admin stuff that goes on there. But you know, when you get to that point where you're making four or five, six thousand dollars a month, like it's important. Yes, that's exactly what I did. Basically, mm-hmm. a couple of little things are different, like with the mm-hmm. laws across states or whatever. But yeah, essentially, you nailed it. But talk to your accountant. And um, one thing I did from the very beginning, um, I just happened to have like a separate checking account and a separate yeah. credit card account, like at the beginning. So I put everything on those. Now I, I was sort of using it for some personal stuff, like in the first year or so. But then I stopped using it, and then you know got other credit cards they're so easy to get they'll just send you credit cards so you can (laughs) like if you have it separate it's very easy to pull the csvs and basically everything's separate what when it becomes an issue or a way that you may find yourself uh confused is if you have your family's full like uh financial uh, structure or whatever and you have the checking account and you have the credit card and everything's jumbled in then you have to look through every single transaction if you silo it off then it's like it's simple you just pull that report and you're good to go for sure and that's that's something that i just got set up i I just went into the bank the other day and opened up separate business accounts because it is it gets really messy when your income is coming into like the family account and then pre the payroll stuff like which i'm still setting up like you've got to take out your own tax money so money comes in then you got to take the taxes out set them aside it's just very very messy and so yeah the better the more separate you can have those things the better and my you know my accountant even said like you'll make better business decisions when it's all separate and you can see it separately and you start thinking of it like a business and not just like your side income 100 percent. yeah it's funny now that you're mentioning it like i forget because i've <laughs> i've done it for done this for a little while but like i was like saving a ton right because i i knew i'd eventually have to pay taxes so i was always saving like um you know 40 percent because i Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite sure so i was always saving 40 percent once you hit a certain level you're probably at the point where you're going to need to start paying quarterly because the irs um will penalize you this is for us folks i'm sure it translates to other places too but like they'll start to penalize you for not paying in advance when you like should have known that you were making so much. It is hard to predict, right? Cause your income is jumping and like, you know, n- next year 
it'll be a little more confusing and you could make some assumptions and, you know, see how well your guesses are. But yeah, quarterly. And then I'm trying to think if there's other stuff. Every now and then I'll get a comment where someone's like, I can't believe you're paying so much in taxes. And um, I can't either, right? Because I, I usually <laughs> I throw out like 40 to 50%. But like, I don't know, maybe I'm not taking advantage of all the loopholes or something like that. But right, people right. think you could like write off all this stuff. But like, you can write off things that you are buying like as an expense. But the money is gone, right? Like I don't have to, <laughs> like, it's gone now. So I've spent the money. So, and that's yeah. not exactly what I'm trying to do. So if I like had very little profit, then right, I don't have to pay much taxes, but yeah. So what are you finding? Like, you know, you did the LLC, the S corp, so you're not, you don't have to pay the double amount on it's uh, social security. We're getting deep in the weeds, but I think people will care about this. Yeah. So no one ever talks about this stuff. So it's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. So it's unemployment, <laughs> unemployment tax, and then social security. And there may be like one other thing in there, but usually it's about 15%, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're going to, you have to pay income tax obviously on what you make. And then that's the the part that sucks is you're getting double dipped on the, those extra taxes that, you know, you wouldn't have to pay the employer's portion if you worked for a company. So yeah, basically the way I understand it is with the S corp. And if you structure the payouts properly, like you can take about half of your income and protect it from that extra 15% tax or something like that. And so, yep. and the other cool thing about going on with a payroll company was, is what I'm trying to set up now is that they will just handle a lot of that. Like they'll just take the taxes out of your check. Like you would normally, if you worked for a normal company, you never see it, you never have to worry about it. Gotcha. That sounds yep. good to me. <laughs> and Yeah. And it gets a little confusing because I'm sure people are like, well, my company pays for this social security and that's exactly it. So your company that you would, you would work for, they would pay the unemployment tax, the social security. But if you have no company, you are the company. <laughs> then you have to pay um, your half and you have to pay the company's half. Right. So right. if you're unsure what I'm talking about, go like to your pay stub or your last pay stub and have a look at it and you'll see like you paid some social security and some other stuff and then your employer also paid part of that too. Or they paid in addition. And I'm sure yeah. some accountant is probably yelling at the uh, yelling at us right now. Like, you guys, you don't know what you're talking about. So go talk to a professional because Evan and I don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. And I would urge people, even if you're just starting out and you're just making a little bit a month, like just be be mindful of it because you don't want a surprise at tax time. If you made an extra $2,000 last year and you didn't save any of it, like you're not going to be happy. So <laughs> just be, yep. be aware of it. Yep. And it's about like, one third is a good estimate because you'll have to pay, you know, your state most likely if you have income tax in your state and then, uh, you know, the IRS. So now we didn't talk much about like your why. So you mentioned you, you quit your job or you left your job in February of 2018 and you were just going to do this on the side. So obviously uh, things are working out well, but can you tell us like uh, just a, a little bit about your why and like you're sticking with it and all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a big part of it. I don't know. Like I, I felt like for years I had this sort of growing discontent and even like contempt for modern workplaces. Like, and I, I had a lot of trouble putting it into words. But I'm like, why, why do I feel so, why do I like hate this so much? Why do I hate like corporate culture? And why do I hate, you know, all these stupid things you're expected to do? And like, why does it not resonate with my soul? Like, why do I just feel like this is wrong? You know, I knew that was kind of growing and building in me, but it was when I read the four hour work week, actually, that it, it all kind of hit me. And I was like, yes, that this is exactly what I've been feeling. And I just couldn't put it into words. You know, it's not that I don't like to work hard. It's not that I don't like to tackle projects or make money. It's just that, you know, the modern workplace just doesn't, doesn't sit with me. You know, the fact that you, you know, not only are you there for so many hours a week, but you know, I think in, in today's world, like so much of you is invested in your job. Like your social media profiles are your brand and you have to go to extra professional development things and you have to be a part of the company culture and buy in on all these things that may not have any, anything to do with your work. They're, they're kind of like siphoning off a portion of your soul and your personality. And, you know, it's a lot to ask, right? Like, do I, did I want that long term? And, and I really didn't. That's kind of my why. It just, I felt like I would be happier working for myself and just betting on me to do the hard work. And if it fails, then it's on me. And if it succeeds, then I reap all the benefits, <laughs> the benefits <laughs> of it. And, you know, um, and it's great to be able to do extra things for my family. Like I can stop working at any time in the day and like go to the grocery store, 
clean up, run an errand, you know, pick my daughter up from school, like whatever needs to be done. Like I'm, I'm very, very flexible. And so that's like a really cool thing to have. Yeah. I can't remember the exact line in the four hour work week, but it was something like, like a comfortable life of like discontent or something yeah. like that. And I was like, yeah, that's the worst when you have a pretty good job, but it's like unfulfilling. You're generally like not too happy about having to go in. Um, if mm-hmm. you're in Atlanta or another big city with traffic, like getting to the office, even if you're close by, can be stressful um, just yep. in general. So I totally understand. It, when did you read the four hour work week? It was last year, uh, early last year at some point I read it. I'm not sure exactly why. I think I just, because I had heard about it. Everyone's heard of, heard the title floating around and I was just like, yeah, let me give this a shot. And it just resonated with me really, really deeply. Nice. So you said you read it early last year and then you quit in February. So you, you pretty much actually, like read it. And then yeah, like, no, I think here. I actually quit before. And then because all the, of all those things I mentioned, I was like, you know, I was ready to move on from that job, but I didn't know that I was ready to move on from all jobs. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Now, your revenue has grown quite a bit since we uh, talked last. And just curious on like goal setting, like, did you have like a specific amount in your mind? How are you approaching this? And and what are your goals, say, for this year, the next few months? I think that the the name of your course kind of always sticks out to me, like five figure niche site, like in terms of a high level goal, like making five figures a month relatively passively would be amazing, right? Like it's going to take work to upkeep it and to build it and, and all that and to grow from there. But I feel like that would be a really, really good level to get to. But I think for me, like, I think I mentioned this, I'm such a, I'm a process oriented person. Like I'm a production oriented person. So most of my goals are about the work that I want to get done. And I was listening to an interview with the guy who founded Basecamp, which is like, um, Mm -hmm. you probably know Basecamp. It's like a file sharing messaging platform for like Mm -hmm. project management. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that in their company, they, they don't even do like financial goals. They have project goals and they're like, we're going to do cool shit and good things will happen, you know? And I found that to be the case already. Like I can't predict, you know, I thought I was going to make so much more money in December and like it didn't happen. And now I'm seeing the results of it. So I just feel like if I keep pushing and I keep, if I doubled my content, I could probably roughly double my income, you know, but I don't know exactly. Like if I gave you a number, I'd be pulling it out of my ass. So <laughs> yeah, right. I think I heard the same interview or a similar one. So it's, um, so it's base camp. We'll, we could get some links to it too, but it's uh, Jason Freed and uh, David DHH. I forget his last name. Yeah, I can't remember. It's interesting that you bring that up because there's a couple of people that have mentioned it. So th- those guys and then Scott Adams, who is the Dilbert right. cartoonist and author and stuff like that. And he mentions that in, in one of his books. So use systems, right? So use systems because you can keep working at it. If you set a goal, it's binary. You hit it or you did not. So if you were aiming for name any amount for December of last Mm. year and you missed it, you were like, I failed my goal. Like, that's Mm -hmm. it. You worked all year long, you (laughs) failed it and it sucked. Or you could say, hey, I'm going to be putting so much content, high quality, you have certain metrics and like you find joy, luckily, in like executing the project, doing the system and all that. I'm exactly the same way. When I did some of the case studies that I share, usually it was just like, here's the thing we're going to do. And we can make some assumptions about what will happen. You should always look and make some guesses. But like the goal was to execute the project, not necessarily to get the you know exact return or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think you have to enjoy the work to some degree. I mean, I think that like too many people in this industry are looking for shortcuts. They want someone to give them all the keywords, write all the content for them, you know, maybe buy a done for you site. And it's like, I don't know, man, I don't know if that's going to work out. Like you got to you got to get something out of waking up and, and actually doing the work every day. I mean, I have posts that I wrote six months ago that are still seeing incremental gains in traffic every month. Like it takes a long time, <laughs> you know, if you're doing things the right way. So, you know, you better buckle in and just, you know, get to work and keep your head down, keep moving. And like, not to say you shouldn't adjust and look at your strategy and see if it's working, but you know, if it's working, just do what you got to do to keep doing more of it. And, and, you know, the results will come. Exactly. If I remember right, you started your site, like the the first site, the one that's making the majority of the money. You started your site and worked on it for something like eight months or something before you started using the KGR. So it's been a little while since you were in those early stages. But do you have any advice for people that maybe haven't quite got started yet? 
I mean, my advice would be to start to get <laughs> to start as soon as possible and just stop screwing around with themes and plugins and and logos and like just get in there. I mean, no one's going to see your content for a couple of months anyway, and you're, you're going to need a lot of it. <laughs> so the sooner you can get going is, you know, the better off you're going to be. You know, I just wish I had started earlier, too. Right. I wish I had. Like I had the site, like you said, for, you know, six to eight months or something like that before I really buckled down and got serious about producing content that was actually going to make me money. So I could be a lot farther, farther along if I had just started started earlier. But, you know, it's part of the journey. Right. I mean, the first like six to eight months are really tough. So how did you stick with it? Like what kept you motivated? And this was before you quit your job and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. yeah, well, I think I mentioned in our first interview that I just started it like as a hobby because I like I like writing and I like you know, he would research and, and content and stuff. And so I had some vague idea that maybe I would do something with the site at some point. But, you know, I wrote articles that were interesting to me within the niche, because like, it's a niche that I'm personally involved in. And I, I know a little bit about so that helps. I wasn't too worried about the growth, like, I would just write stuff. And, you know, suddenly, like, after a couple of months, I saw it starting to grow and grow. And, and then I was like, okay, how can I actually make this like profitable at this point? Like, because it is getting traction, I am seeing traffic, you know, and that's kind of when I came on the KGR. The KGR was great for me, because it just gave me a, a blueprint for like, okay, I can follow this, and I can write a ton of content. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't, it, it allowed me to see the bigger picture of like, how I can do this over and over and over again, and, and get to a goal. Nice. And do you have any tips on finding KGR terms? They're not that hard to find. I mean, I think, you know, your KGR playlist really covers a lot of this. But uh, my best trick is taking, you know, STEM keywords and adding all kinds of different modifiers to them. Like, so if it's, if we're talking about a product article, like be the best pens, like best pens with, best pens without, best pens for, best pens, any kind of modifying phrase mm -hmm. you can add after that, like you're going to get a ton of ideas in the Google auto suggest and related searches. And, you know, okay. that's. Typically where I do most of my work is right in Google with, with keywords everywhere, giving me the volume. And I just kind of go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I like those techniques as well. And people should check out the keyword golden ratio masterclass if they haven't yet. Give a lot of other suggestions like that. But I think you're right. It's just like once you start finding some, like you'll sort of develop your own technique, your style and like get a rhythm to it. And then you'll be able to find a whole lot more. So it sounds like you once you sort of got into it, you didn't have any issue finding a bunch of keywords. No, not at all. I mean, you gotta, once you get the hang of it, like it's not, it's not too difficult. And, you know, you can't worry about if the volume's low, like, you know, definitely go for those 10 searches a month, 40 searches a month. Some of my best pieces of traffic wise are from keywords that said they would give me 40 searches a month or 60. I mean, like right. in my experience, you'll, you'll get anywhere from three to 30 times that number, like when you, if you rank number one for it. So yeah, it's crazy when you rank number one, it really changes the equation there. So mm -hmm. um, one other thing that you mentioned, Evan, was uh, you're not using the KGR as much. Maybe you'll have a look uh, if you're, maybe you find some area that you haven't covered much, but I guess what gave you the confidence to like branch out from the KGR? I think that I just tried it in little doses. Like I would, I did a lot of KGR content, especially over the summer. And slowly I started to we have some wiggle room with the volume. I'd go for 300, 500 search volume terms. I would do like, you know, one here and there where it wasn't KGR. But I think the ones that encouraged me to do that were where it wasn't KGR, but like I would look at the results and they all, they all sucked. And I was like, well, <laughs> I was like, well, I can go for this. It doesn't matter if it's KGR or not. Like I can definitely compete because there's no result for it. Right. So it was like kind of learning with training wheels and then and then slowly like <laughs> taking them off as I, as I found that I could drink for other things and, you know, and your site will grow more powerful as it gets older, you know, yep. there's just some things that I don't think you can rank for with a young site, but over time you get to, you can get more competitive. Definitely. Okay, cool. And I in, inadvertently like, I guess not misled, but a lot of people are like, hey, I'm doing the, I'm, I'm going to publish 200 posts, all KGR, I'm going to do no, no link building. I would never recommend that specifically. If someone made mm -hmm. it in this, you know, 40 minutes into our conversation, <laughs> like here, here's a good nugget. Like the examples that I give, the case studies are, are merely that, right? You could take it for that and then apply it. And I love, Evan, that you, uh, you were like, hey, I'm going to just test one or two, see what happens. And then you have like a data point for your own site because everybody's site's a little bit different. You can go for other keywords. You don't have to publish all KGR terms. In fact, you really should go for other like <laughs> higher volume terms if you want to make like more money. Yeah. There's more traffic. It's more competitive. At some point, 
you know, your site's uh, two years old, three, four or five years old, like you have some more flexibility and you should take advantage of the age, uh, you know, of your site and the authority and all that stuff. So cool. Is there any other advice that you would give, uh, you know, people that are looking to, you know, recreate what you've done? I would just encourage people to strap in for, for a long haul, write a lot of really good content that's helpful, as helpful as you can. And, and yeah, I mean, KGR is fantastic. It really helped me out early on, but I think having some diversity in your content, low competition, medium competition, high competition, expecting it to take time to rank for things. Like it doesn't mean the sky's falling. Like I, I, when I write a new article, I don't expect to see anything from it for several months usually. And that's the the mind frame that keeps me sane, (laughs) but you'll see it just go up and up and up and up and up over the course of six months, eight months longer, you know? So it's all very slow and, uh, that's normal. So Yep. Um, I agree that that's a really good point. Yeah. Patience is key. You know, if you're, if you publish it and and you're thinking, Hey, like why, why isn't it ranking number one yet? Like you just gotta be patient. It may take, you know, a couple months to move on. Mm -hmm. So awesome. Well, uh, before we jet, just curious, um, I know your corporate life, uh, didn't sound very happy when you left. Are you happy now? Like doing this kind of work, like what does it mean to you and your family? Yeah. I mean, I would say more than anything, I'm just fulfilled. Like I'm one after weekends or vacations, like I'm pretty excited to get back to it. And, and, you know, cause like I dictate what I work on and all the goals that are ahead of me are ones that I laid out and, I chose all the things that I'm going to be doing or, or not doing. When I was tired of writing, I was like, Hey, I'm going to just work on Pinterest for a while and figure that out. Uh, and now I'm, you know, working on that, but also getting back into to new content. And, you know, if I decide I want to start another site, if I decide I want to do a big push with outsourcing or, or whatever it is, like I dictate the terms and that feels really good. Like to wake up on a Monday morning and be excited to get back to it. And, you know, if it's successful, then it all goes into my pocket. And if not, then, you know, I can live with that too. So, Awesome. Very cool, Evan. Thanks for the update. I know people were super excited, so I appreciate it. Definitely. Thanks for having me, Doug. All right. Thanks a lot to Evan. Really do appreciate you taking the time. It's always good to catch up and hear what you're working on. I think this episode was kind of, you know, a little bit different because we did go into the sort of advanced topic of like business structures and taxes and that sort of thing, which is also interesting since I was just working with my accountant over the past few weeks for my uh, 2018 taxes. So it's really not super complicated, but it's hard to find the information on what you're supposed to do unless you actually talk to an accountant or someone who's done it before. And the problem is, you know, there's consequences if you screw it up. So with a lot of other, you know, areas, you can try it out. You could test things, especially with, you know, affiliate marketing, SEO, and that sort of thing. You can test things on a small scale to see if they work, and it's not an irreversible like consequence. Now, you can argue that if you structure your business improperly or you make a mistake, you can fix it, but usually it'll end up costing you money because at some point you end up hiring a professional anyway to help you do the work. Now, maybe the information's out there and I just didn't know where to find it, but a lot of times it's just easier and better to hire a pro that does this stuff all day long And then you don't have to like waste your time researching and stuff like that. So what we're going to do is have a look at some questions and comments that I saw on this interview where it was initially posted on YouTube. So let's get into it here. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to pick out some, some interesting questions. And then I'll also point out just some comments that came through. And this one is from uh, Lisa Hayes. And she says, this is very motivational. Thanks, Doug and Evan. By the way, I love Pinterest. I set up Pinterest accounts for a lot of my clients. Lisa is a VA and she has seen some fabulous results from it. She can't wait to finish out building her niche site and using Pinterest for it. 
Jill also mentions that it's a great interview. She loves the way uh, you say that you're excited to get back into it after a break. I think she's referring to me. And she says, isn't that just heavenly to have that feeling about work? I can't wait until I get that feeling. Okay, so let's get into a few of the questions that popped in here. And let's see, where the heck are they? Okay, so this is WP with Tom. Tom says this, Doug and Evan, are you focused on the total number of articles in a particular, in particular over the length of the articles? Not really. And obviously I'm only answering for myself, not Evan. And not really the number of articles, but I think it's a balance between the two. So for certain keywords, maybe like KGR, the keyword golden ratio type keywords, I may be interested in, you know, just getting the content, the the one piece of content out, maybe if it's only 800 words, like it's, it's kind of a, a game of volume with a KGR. So you want to publish it and then you can go back and improve it and add to it later. And I like to do that because you kind of get an idea of what's working and then you can focus on the articles that are actually getting traction. Now, the converse, and the reason why I'm saying a balance and not actually giving a straight answer here, um, Tom, is if you just look at the length of the article, well, I'm not I'm not going for like a certain like long length either, because if you if you push that idea to the extreme, which Tom, you're not suggesting that, but that's kind of an interesting way to look at what the impact can be on a particular uh, action, you know, if you push it to the extreme. So let's say I only wanted to publish a handful of articles and I just made them really long, say 10,000 words. Let's say I could find, you know, information and make it interesting enough and to hit that length without, you know, adding filler in there. The point is um, that may not have a good benefit overall because let's say it's a pretty low search volume for those keywords and I made them really long and basically I could have gotten the same amount of traffic, the same impact with say one third of the length. So that is why it's kind of a balance and you kind of have to look at what you're trying to do. So just, you know, back to the original question, am I focused on the total number of articles? Not really. Am I interested in the length of the articles? Yes. And that is sort of the driver. You kind of have to look at what you're doing, why you're doing it and sort of your overall plan. So hopefully that is helpful. Grant Hanford says, uh, 8G's wowza. I can relate in regards to working in the corporate world and not having fun. It's why I am working on a site and looking for some time freedom. Very good. Uh, Adrian says this. This is a pretty uh, pretty lengthy comment, so appreciate that, Adrian. Awesome interview. Well done. I just finished reading the four-hour work week as well, and it's, it's mind-blowing. It's an eye-opener. I feel 100% confident that your success was accelerated because of those Paramount skills you've already acquired prior to your solo online venture working for that digital agency. Yep, and I think that is key. I mean, uh, Evan had a very strong background as a writer in copywriting, and he knew like the content world. And for a lot of us, it's brand new. If, if you don't end up working in that uh, anyway. So Adrian also says, I'm thinking of getting a job for an agency as well so I can learn some of those skills. Otherwise, you'll have to pay to learn them or spend months to acquire uh, those skills. Adrian further says, one question, are you using any full-time or part-time VAs to help you out with the tasks? Um, obviously, I can't answer that directly for Evan, but I don't recall him mentioning... Um, VAs, but he may, he may use them. How do you plan out your week or month? And obviously I can't answer that either. (laughs) And, uh, Adrian, thanks Evan for sharing. So I would say, I mean, I can add my two cents in on planning your week and month. So I go through stages where either I'm 
like planning pretty heavily or I'm kind of reactive. And I don't like being reactive, but kind of the way my, my life is working out currently, I have to roll with the punches a little bit. So I'm, I'm right I'm right uh, off of a drive. That's a weird way to say that. Yesterday, I drove from Bozeman to Boulder, Colorado, which is about a a 10-hour drive. And that was like the third third time I've done it in the last several weeks. So, I mean, just (laughs) it's kind of hectic right now in my life. So we're getting settled, you know, after the move. And if you're, you know, if this happens to be your first episode of the show, you can, um, I think one or two episodes back, there's a bonus episode talking about moving to Boulder from Bozeman. So basically my wife got a job here and and we relocated and it was a whirlwind. We, we have executed on this very quickly, but to do that, I kind of had to put a lot of my professional stuff aside. So that consisted of me like planning ahead a whole lot. And then I'm just reactive after that. So I'm looking forward, Adrian, to sort of planning things a little bit more intentionally in the next few weeks. And in fact, it's Sunday right now when I'm recording this. I'm actually publishing it tomorrow. So I got a little bit behind on recording and stuff, but it's just been so busy and I, I've had like so many other priorities uh, ahead of time. So it, like I said, I want to be more intentional. And I know today being Sunday, I'm about to sit down with, you know, a list of tasks that I need to be working on over like the next several weeks and things that I have put aside where I'm like, okay, uh, I can't work on it right now, but I'm going to revisit it coming up. And you know, I kind of keep those lists going all the time. I always have a list of like, you know, what I am interested in working on, things that I'm committed to work on and that sort of thing. And then what I, what I do, hopefully if I'm doing this intentionally is like once a week, um, I'll, you know, revisit that list, make sure I'm on track from the previous week, add more things if I need to, and just kind of slot it out. Like what I'm going to be working on now. Luckily, Luckily, I'm going to have a little bit more time here coming up. Um, you know, the one other thing I didn't mention is, you know, with all the driving to and from Bozeman to Boulder, um, I was also doing a lot of like household activities. We're selling our house and that takes um, some time as well. So cleaning up, pack. I mean, we had um, most of the stuff moved out of there, but there's still cleaning to do, packing to do. And I, went up there solo. Somehow I made it, uh, I made it a flight right after the, the blizzard that we had here, um, in, in Colorado. So somehow I made it out and got back up there and I spent, you know, three days basically working on that stuff and spending time at the airport. Anyhow, that's sort of how I try to plan my, my, uh, my work. But at the same time, like I said, I end up being reactive a lot of the time because, you know, I'm, I'm operating solo and there's no one telling me what to do. So there's, you know, part of it is trying to have the vision of like what I need to be working on and where I want the business to go as well as, you know, keeping the other plates spinning with say the YouTube channel the podcast, the blog, and just other networking and outreach that I have going on. So, all right, let's see if there's any more questions in here. So, oh, and cleaning things mentioned this. Hey, Doug, it's me. I started my site in August and it's the first month that the organic traffic has started rising. So, cleaning things says you hit 40 uh, searches, maybe you mean visitors, and you just wanted to give me a heads up. And sounds like, sadly, this is what uh, Cleaning Things says. Sadly, my account got canceled, but I signed up again. I haven't earned anything so far in the six months, but hopefully soon. Okay. And not a question, but I can add some details around that. Sounds like because no sales were made, your account got canceled. And for people that aren't for familiar with it, the Amazon Associate Program 
um, you apply, basically you're accepted right away. And then the, the associate program will evaluate, review your site after you make three separate orders within 180 days. So if you fail to make those three orders, you know, not three separate items, um, but like three different orders, if you fail to do that, they will close your account. It's not actually a horrible thing. All you have to do is reapply. But I would generally suggest to people to not apply until you're getting some traffic, say maybe like 10 visitors a day. And for the people that may be thinking, well, I don't want to miss out on any sales. It really doesn't matter. I mean, if you, if you're going to, if you're going to be able to make like one or two sales and you, you're afraid you're going to miss them, or or maybe let's say a few more than that, right? Let's, let's say you're, you're making a few sales, but like uh, with that small amount of traffic, just on the off chance that you're going to make the sales. I mean, you're not really earning much. It's like, dollars, right? It's probably under $10 um, for a couple sales here and there. And you're better off just not stressing about it. That's kind of the idea where it's like, just focus on getting those 10, 15 visitors per day to your site. And then once you have those, you'll probably be able to make a few sales per week. You know, just roughly, I would, I would say this is a very general very general uh, guideline. If you if you can get about a hundred visitors per day, you'll probably be able to make about a hundred dollars per month. Obviously, many factors involved. What niche it is, the you know price of the products generally in that niche. But the point is, you'll probably make like one sale or so through. Uh, or sorry, one sale per 100 visitors a day, which roughly you're probably going to end up at about $100 per month. So if you if you back that down, right, if you if you scale that back a little bit, if you're getting, uh, you know, 10 visitors per day, every 10 days, that's about 100 visitors. And you'll probably be able to make a few sales if you're getting about 10, 15 visitors per day. So I would wait to apply until you have a few visitors um, on your site. Don't worry about, um, don't worry about missing out on one or two sales here or there. That's just a drop in the in the bucket, and you know, in the long run, it's not really going to account for anything. Okay, Charlie Parker says this. And this is on Pinterest. So my site only has forty three posts, and I get about a hundred to two hundred visitors per day from Pinterest. So that's pretty awesome, Charlie. I haven't had any strategy at all, really. I haven't even used any descriptions or hashtags at all for any of my pins, and I don't pin every day. All I do is every time I make a blog post, I make a Pinterest-specific graphic long and thin, you know, sort of a vertical orientation. Um, Thin is kind of a funny word to use there, but um, a vertical orientation like portrait mode, you know? Um, So, yeah. You make a Pinterest-specific graphic for that post, and you pin it. Then I pin a few other images from that blog post, and that's all I do. I rarely, if ever, put pins on... I rarely, if ever, pin other people's content, and I only make a few pins around twice per month. My account has about 1,000 followers and gets about 600,000 exposures per month. The majority of the people on Pinterest are creative and, quote, project-minded. So create your Pinterest-specific images with that in mind. So pretty cool. Um, Charlie, that's really awesome. And a few people asked you questions. So Luke says, do you only pin your own boards and not onto other group boards? And how'd you get 1,000 followers? So... Charlie says, I only pin my own boards and I only pin my own pins. I don't know how I got the followers just from people finding the pins somehow and deciding to follow your boards. That's pretty cool overall. And Gulad says, how does the traffic convert to sales? What's the conversion rate? So I think that'd be pretty tough to, to track all the way. And it's important to define the conversion rate that you're talking about. Um, You know, do you, do you count clicking to Amazon a conversion? Do you count visiting the website as a conversion? Do you have to make the sale for it to actually be a conversion? So it's kind of unclear exactly um, what what you mean there, Gulad. But 
Either way, it's hard to impossible to track. And Charlie says, I don't have specific traffic tracking info for that, but my suspicion is that it doesn't. But engagement is a ranking factor, and I have noticed that if a pin gets a lot of traction on Pinterest, the blog post tends to rank well. And I have seen that sort of uh, correlation as well. I don't have a lot of experience with Pinterest, but in the past, I've accidentally had some posts do really well on Pinterest. And correspondingly, the rankings did really well. Now, the the problem with that correlation is there are other factors involved, right? There's like a lot of other factors involved. Over 200, I would say, um, from the Google ranking perspective. So the reason why I'm unsure how much of a factor it played is because I was also doing a great deal of link building to that post um, that had the great, you know, the great pin that was getting so much engagement on Pinterest. So they kind of go hand in hand. I don't know like what happened. I didn't try to make um, anything special happen on the Pinterest side. It just happened to be a good post and there happened to be a good graphic that people liked on, on Pinterest. You know, it was a, you know, a vertical, uh, a long sort of graphic, long and thin as Charlie says. So, um, The other thing I'll mention is I am working on Pinterest right now. So after talking to a few people in the course of, I don't know, it was like a week back in January, um, I talked to uh, Marty, I talked to Duke, I talked to Evan and a couple other people off the record as well who were working on Pinterest. And I, I was like, you know what? I've been dragging my feet on this for so long. Everyone mentioned Tailwind. I checked out sort of the capabilities and stuff. And then I am working with my VA who actually does like a great job on Pinterest herself. And, you know, she's basically an expert. She's been, you know, deep in the weeds on Pinterest for the last couple of years. So, I am having her help me out with Pinterest. So we'll see how it goes. Um, right now, I'm not getting a you know a huge amount of additional traffic from Pinterest, but it's only been about five to six weeks or so, maybe, yeah, about that. my my whole my my whole life is uh, sort of making me confused about what day it is, what month and how much time has passed. I have no clue what's going on, to be honest with you, because of this whirlwind of a move. But basically, um, traffic is going up a little bit from Pinterest, but it's still, you know, a drop in the bucket. It's like a drop in the ocean. It's very little traffic. However, it's you know, roughly doubled over the past few weeks. And as far as engagement and stuff goes, it's tremendous. It's up, you know, hundreds of percent um, on the Pinterest side. And again, it's important to note, like you can get a lot of engagement and action on Pinterest, a lot of, um, I guess, uh, like impressions, but, you know, the the real ROI is going to come with, like additional traffic to your site when you're, you know, looking at the conversion rate. Now, that said, maybe there's some secondary effects where the rankings are going to move up if you get that engagement on Pinterest. But I have a feeling this is unsubstantiated, just me talking without any research or being informed. But my hunch is getting the actual traffic from Pinterest is better than just getting the, you know, engagement on Pinterest, if that makes sense. And full disclosure, as I was working with my VA, um, just asking questions about Pinterest and like what she was going to do, you know, she, I I asked to, to, I want to learn, right? I want to be able to, to present this information later. So as we're going, I'm asking like the dumbest questions in the world. In fact, one of the one of the silliest things, which I, I didn't realize, I thought that you had to put the image, the, the like the, if you want to create a pin, I thought you had to put the image on the web page, right? 
I thought you had to pin it from there, but it turns out because Pinterest is its own ecosystem there, you can, you know, create the image, the graphic, and then put it just straight on Pinterest and it can link to your URL. It can link to the post that you want it to go to with its own individual description, which is sort of similar to a, like a, the meta description from an SEO standpoint. And uh, basically, I didn't know that you could just put an image on Pinterest that didn't have to be on your actual web page. So at that point, I realized how uninformed I really am about Pinterest. All right, that's going to do it for today. And thanks a lot for tuning in. Again, thanks to Evan. Thanks for listening, kind listener. And if you have a moment, it would help me out a bunch if you left a review on iTunes or whatever you listen to your podcast on and tell people about it. It helps spread the word and I really do appreciate it. So have a great day and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks.